Sarah came and said, I've already been studying this lesson and I've already been struggling. And so he said, I, I started praying for you so you could teach this lesson, and I appreciate it. Uh, but we're going we're to talk about some of the things here in your, in your lesson book. It, it gives you the overview, talking about the struggle between the flesh and our spirit, and how real it is, how frustrating it is, and how uh, impossible it is for us to have victory without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so you'll notice the lesson aim, we must purposely feed the new nature. We're going to talk about that. And yield to the Holy Spirit as he daily performs this renewing work. And when the struggle of the Spirit is handled properly, it will victoriously bring forth wonderful fruit. What Paul shares with us may appear to be depressing. All right? It is depressing. But I don't want it to end that way. I want us to recognize that um, there is victory uh, over the flesh. And uh, it, ultimate victory will be when we, re, when we meet the Lord, all right? Um, but let me read this uh, illustration. I think all of you would uh, uh, remember it. Um, but it's very applicable to our lesson today. January 15, 20, uh, 2009, Captain Chelsea Sullenberger, you remember Captain Sullenberger, um, uh, began what for him was a normal work day. During pre-flight preparations in the cockpit of an Airbus A320, he was assigned to U.S. Airways Flight 1549 from New York's LaGuardia Airport bound for Charlotte, North Carolina. Shortly after 3 p.m., 155 people were on board and ready for takeoff. It was all routine for Sullenberger, who had 42 years of flying experience. Shortly after takeoff, while ascending over Manhattan, the plane unexpectedly hit a large flock of birds, causing both engines to completely lose thrust. One engine caught fire. While the plane, uh, with the plane disabled, Captain Sullenberger immediately began communicating with the control tower, his mind racing through options for how to land this plane safely with no engines. Returning to LaGuardia was not an option. There were no other airports or runways within range. It quickly became clear that his only option was to attempt to safely ditch the plane in the Hudson River along Manhattan's west side. He described the emotion of that moment as the worst sickening pit of your stomach falling through the floor feeling that he had ever experienced. For several extremely quiet and tense moments, Sullenberger and his co-pilot called on all of their collective experience and knowledge to guide the Airbus A320 toward the Hudson. The lives of 155 people hung on the accuracy of every decision. A thousand factors had to come perfectly together in order to avoid tragedy. Just before 3.30 p.m., Sullenberger announced over the speaker system, brace for impact. A few moments later, the plane glided safely into the Hudson River, narrowly avoiding disaster. All 155 people on board were safe. Ferries and rescue boats quickly met the sinking plane as passengers stood single file on the wings. Sullenberger walked the length of the entire cabin twice, even as the water rose above his waist to make sure every passenger and crew member was evacuated. The story of Sullenberger's heroic efforts and unusual calm throughout the incident captivated the entire world. 
When faced with probable calamity, he responded with improbable poise. When most would have panicked or overreacted, this man remained focused, composed, and resolved. Speaking in an interview after the incident, he said, and I read all of that so I could get to this, so I want you to hear it. One way of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very substantial withdrawal. And that's the application we want to make uh, from the, for this lesson. Can you imagine every human emotion would want to scream, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd want to scream and, and uh, cause uh, panic and fear and maybe make hasty uh, reactions. And yet he was uh, able to calmly, quietly call upon the strength of 42 years of experience and he was able to focus on what had to be done and he set aside and ignored natural responses and he made control and composure to safely land the plane and get the people to safety. So um, I, th I think that's a really good illustration. The day you receive Christ as Savior, you know that the Holy Spirit came into our lives and uh, he uh, began to give us new desires. We're a new creature and he wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. But there is another um, creature, and that's the old man, who is dead set against it, all right? Not, not for me, that's not what I want. And we know the flesh wars against the spirit, and, and all of you are old enough in the Lord to know um, that the old man was crucified with Christ. Now that doesn't mean that his desires died. That means that when we ask God to forgive us of our sins and we repented of our sins, he birthed in us a new creature. And that is um, the, uh, our spirit was quickened and made alive. And, it, and the Holy Spirit's desire for that new creature was to be conformed to the image of Christ. All the while the flesh wants to keep, doesn't want to give up any territory, so to speak, all right? And so what we uh, need to understand is that this fight is going to be a, a hard one. It's going to be a lifelong fight. And um, you live every day now with a new heart and a new nature, and you're struggling against a well-programmed flesh and brain and heart uh, that all like the status quo. They, it, it likes what it wants, all right? And, um, and, of course, our new nature has given us a new set of desires, desires to please God, to uh, live for him, to avoid sin, to lead a righteous life, to be obedient to his will, and, of course, the flesh is constantly wrestling for control and demanding submission. And so let me give you an illustration. This is something that happened to me Wednesday. After I had my heart attack, I've been going to cardiac rehab. And part of the rehab is we have one class a week. And uh, all of the nurses in the uh, unit there uh, teach a class, or multiple classes. But um, on this, this last Wednesday, one of the 
more petite little nurses, um, always has a pleasant attitude and a smile, laughs a lot, and not just a chuckle here or there, she really laughs, and just a pleasant woman. And um, so she was teaching Wednesday, and we were talking about all the things that we've learned, how that we had to control our diet, we had to exercise, we had to control our blood pressure, uh, and we had to remove the stressors in our life and learn to cope with them in a, in, a, in a better way, all right, instead of allowing them to shoot up our blood pressure, that sort of a thing. And so she was going around the table. I guess there was uh, 18 or 20 of us around the table. And she said, tell me, and she interviewed each person. She said, how are you, what have you done? She, I'm looking for changes in your behavior, changes in your habits, changes in all of these things, what, how are you doing? And she'd go around the room and each one would talk about the diet and whether they were losing weight and if they were controlling their blood pressure, were they having any trouble with that? She talked about their emotions, are you having any depression, all of that kind of thing. Exercise, Do you are you getting an exercise routine established? And so she went all the way around the room and there was one man that's been in there a little while, and he's all—he's oh, always talking. He's always got something to say that the rest of us have never heard before, according to him, and uh, that he knows everything. And so when she got to him, she said, this is the third time you've been in cardiac rehab, isn't it? And he said, yes, it is. And she said, the first time you had a heart attack. Yes, ma'am, I did. The second time you had heart failure. Yes, ma'am, that's true. And now you're in here because you've had a heart transplant. He said, yes, ma'am, that's true. And she said, tell me how you've changed your life. What actions have you taken? She said, what about your diet? Are you losing any weight? Well, no, ma'am, I'm really not. Well, what changes have you made in your diet? Well, uh, my job requires that I take people out to eat, and, and it's been really hard. I, I, she said, well, what about your exercise routine? Oh, well, my job just doesn't allow me to do that. I, I, I try, um, and I, I walk every chance I have, but so you don't have an established exercise routine? No, no, I don't have that. Well, what about stress? Oh, my word, I live in an environment of stress every day. And this quiet little, uh, petite little nurse leaned over the table and said, you do not deserve that new heart. And I thought I was going to fall over backwards in my chair. I thought, whoa, I hope she doesn't get up on the table. Uh, but the room was absolutely silent. And he said, yes, ma'am. She said, you either get started or you apologize to the donor's family. And I thought, where am I? <laughs> All right, but Yahoo, okay, that's good. Well, I was motivated Wednesday. I was, it was a pretty good day, all right? Uh, but I, as I was reading this lesson, I thought, the Holy Spirit says, I've given you a new nature. What changes have you made in your life? What are you willing to let me do through your life? What is it I can do through you? My powers are limitless. I can... You and the Holy Spirit can move the world. And we so oftentimes, we fail to do that, don't we? And we have to remember 
that our old nature was not reformed. It was not, trans, it was not um, you know, self-renovated. It wasn't a new leaf. It was a crucifixion. We can't ever lose sight of the fact that it was a crucifixion. 1 Corinthians 3, um, 3 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And notice he says, And brethren, these are saved people. I couldn't talk to you as fellow believers. I have to talk to you as carnal, unsaved Christians. You haven't done what you need to do to grow in the Lord. All right? And so... Frankly, this struggle can be very difficult. And we have to remember that the Holy Spirit promises to walk beside us, to empower us, to give us answers we don't have, to give us strength we don't have, to give us wisdom that we don't have, and give us victory that we cannot achieve. But he can do that for us. The devil would love for you to believe that you just can't win. All right, and so why are you doing that? You know, you can go to church, that's okay. All right, and, and you, can, you can even do more than that, but you can't win, all right? That would be what the devil's strategy is. Let me give you an illustration. I didn't know whether I wanted to do it now or not, but let me just give you an illustration. This was something that I struggled with. When I was first introduced to the new man, when I began to read and understand and hear messages, the new man seemed to be like um, something that's ethereal, wispy. I can't see it, I don't know what it is, but I'm supposed to have it, and I, uh, yeah, and I've got, to, I've got to feed the new man, all right? What is that? Well, let me give you an illustration that I think will help us today. If any of us die today, and the rapture has not yet occurred, what body will you be in when you get to heaven? You'll be in the new man. It's a, I want you to visualize the new man as a real, whole person, all right? Because that's your spiritual body. And when you go to heaven, until you receive your glorified body, that will be the body that you will occupy during that time in heaven before uh, the redemption of the body. All right, so I thought that helped me a whole lot as I begin to think about the new man as a real person inside me that has the same, uh, it has desires, it has uh, things that it loves, and I have to understand that they're, uh, they're competing one against the other. Um, the first point is, all right, very good. I, I, I don't know how to use this thing, so I'm going to put it away. All right, uh, but if you would give me the first point. The struggle with the future, the struggle, I mean, with the, uh, with the flesh. I'm sorry, the struggle with the flesh. Your book begins in Romans 7 and verse 15, but I want to back up to verse 14. Uh, I think it's very important. Verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I can sin unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. 
For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, and it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I have to admit, that's one of those passages I just kind of go, uh, down until I can start reading again. It demands too much brain cell, too many brain cells, right? Um, I'm probably not alone. Uh, but I've tried and tried and tried to go through there. Let me help you with that. First of all, I told you in verse 14 that the Apostle Paul said, we know that the law is spiritual. How do we know that? Three, things, three ways. The law was given to man by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the source of that law. That makes it spiritual. Secondly, you remember in the land of Egypt as God was introducing himself to the people, uh, to his chosen people that he was going to deliver, he did many things to help identify himself, to uh, help them understand who he was and what he was like, what was his nature, what was his expectation of his own people? Well, the law is an expression of the will and the nature of God. And it's spiritual because it tells us exactly what God is like. It tells us and describes to us God's will and God's mind and God's nature. And thirdly, the law is spiritual because of its purpose. It's the law, Paul, Paul calls it our schoolmaster, that brings us to Christ. So the law is spiritual. Then you'll notice that Paul introduces the word carnal. And, and that word carnal means to be made of flesh, to have a body of flesh and blood, but it also means the animal appetites, the fleshly sensual desires. It means all of those things that our human nature uh, craves, struggles for, all right? And so Paul describes himself as sold under sin. What does that mean? Well, it means he's a slave to sin. Oh, we are a slave to sin. We're under sin's influence. We're subject to sin. We're capable of sinning. We're guilty of sinning. Uh, we cannot free ourselves from being short of the glory of God. We cannot keep from sinning, not completely. And we cannot cast sin out of our life, not totally. And we can't get rid of sin, not permanently. But we will see success, ultimately. And Paul makes three points about this struggle. And uh, I'll, I'll boil it down for us here. He says that the carnal life is a helpless, unceasing struggle. The first thing he says is, that which I do, I allow not. The word allow means that uh, to know or to perceive. The carnal man finds himself doing things that... Um, almost take him unawares because it's a natural reflexive action, so to speak. I would never have done that, you know? I, I never intended that outcome or, or how did I do, what happened to me? 
All right. Um, before long, he, uh, he, he realizes God has, has wills and desires for me, but something else is controlling me. And he goes on to say, what I would, that I do not. I know what God wants me to do. I know I should be doing these things. And even though I would want to do those things, I don't do them. And I'm not talking about mundane, regular little things. I'm talking about things we definitely say, I'm going to read my Bible every day. All right? And then there's some days I go, wow, I don't think I read it yesterday. All right? Um, and so that I would, that do I not. And then he says, what I hate, that do I. Paul hated sin. And he struggled against sin, just like every one of us do. He knows that sin displeases God. And he wanted more than anything for his life to count for God and to glorify God. But no matter how much he hated uh, sin and no matter how much he struggled against sin, he always found himself coming short. And so that's what he describes as the struggle of the flesh. And you'll see we have to um, understand, as Paul said, when he finally summarizes it, he says, it is no more that uh, more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Is he shifting the blame just a little bit? No, not really. It's the truth. All right? It's sin is a powerful thing. The real me desires to do good. The fleshly me has all power available to keep me from doing it. And so Paul makes a wonderful case that uh, the inward man can delight in the laws of God while the power of sin in his members or his body wars against the laws of God. So how we need to understand your new nature. You can see that right there. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, uh, Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. We have to understand the difference between the new nature and our sin nature. And it is our nature to sin. And if it is our nature to sin, then we're doomed to failure. But if it's our nature to do good through the power of God, that new nature can overcome these fleshly habits. Now, I want to uh, take you to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 right there. If you would... Let's make a couple of changes, all right? I don't mean this is not anything un undoctrinal or all, but therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. You see, the devil might be beating you up with that verse. I thought you got saved. You're still doing some of these things, aren't you? What is this stuff you've been learning about being a new creature? Where is it? You, that didn't happen to you, did it? Well, it should, and ultimately it will. And yes, there are some who manifest a great transformation in their lives when they receive Christ as Savior. Others, it's not as, as subtle, all right, and so, uh, or as obvious. But um, what we want to understand is that uh, it's a process. It's a lifelong process. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a lifelong process. Write lifelong out there so you, you won't let the devil discourage you in your battle with the flesh. And so um, we're not talking about cleaning up the flesh. We're talking about, as I've already said, crucifixion 
and regeneration. Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. B is living through your new nature. Let's talk about the positive. All right, the first step to real growth in the Holy Spirit and the first real step to spiritual victory over the flesh is to believe what God says about your new nature. You're a new man, a new woman. You're a new creature. Ephesians 4.24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we just read. The second step to victory is to daily put off the old man and put on the new man, or to put on Christ. Ephesians 4.22, these are in your book, too important to miss, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Romans 12.2, and be not, trans, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Every morning, I'll just use this, our illustration, illustration in our home. Sometimes my wife will spend a long time coming out of the closet, and finally she'll come out and say, should I wear this or should I wear that? And I have to say, well, that looks really, but that really looks nice. Uh, it's up to you, all right? And uh, we guys are usually holding up two socks and saying, do they match? <laughs> That's what we're doing. But we take time every morning. We stand before the mirror and we make the old man look as good as we can. All right? And we feed the old man as well as we can. And, and we do those things for the old nature. Well, remember, there's another one there that's calling for attention. And what actions did you take to get his day started right, all right? And so that's why I want you to visualize that as you, all right? And visualize just as you would go through your morning routines to make the old man look good, what have we done to help the new man? And it needs to be part of our morning routine. Roman numeral two, victory through the spirit. Thank goodness we're not left to do this in our own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. And th this victory, is a threefold process. It's a threefold process. First of all, it is a rebirth. Rebirth is immediate at salvation. Rebirth is the miracle of your um, salvation. It occurred in a moment. It occurred in a moment when you received Christ as Savior, repented of your sins and received Christ as Savior. It took place. John 3, 3 through 5, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the first process is rebirth, and that has to happen. There has to be a moment in your life when you bowed your head and your heart and said, God, I'm sorry of my sin. I am so ashamed of my sin. 
I want you to forgive me of that and, and come into my heart and be my savior. That happened in real time. And I hope that you will remember that real moment. Now, we come to the second uh, process, and that is renewal. That's B. It's a lifelong process. It's a daily process. It's what God ordained it to be. Why didn't God deliver Paul from this battle? Because this is the process that God designed to transform us, to recognize who the enemy is and what we have to do to defeat him and live in victory. All right? And so renewal is this lifelong process called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being set apart unto God for holy purposes. All right? And so sanctification is this process that God is going to transform me from the inside out. And how long that takes and how much victory I enjoy is totally up to me. All right? And so, but this is the process that God ordained. Romans 12, 2, we've already read again uh, that, uh, that we would be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And Colossians 3, 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Again, I want you to understand, sanctification is a lifelong process, and it is the process that God designed to conform us to the image of Christ. Remember, we have to learn to hate sin just like God hates sin. And now because of the Holy Spirit's presence and his walking alongside of us and his teaching us from his word, we begin to learn more and more and more. Maybe some things that we didn't even realize God did not like or love, we were doing, and it breaks our heart when we come to understand that. Say, oh, Lord, I had no idea. I was, I was denying you by this in my life. And so it's a process, and it's something that God designed for us to build us and strengthen us and give us victory. And third, redemption is a future process. This is what I started earlier, that uh, that perfect body we're looking for, we'll receive that at the rapture. If we've gone uh, on before the rapture, of course, they're robed in righteousness right now, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but they'll be robed in their perfect body at the rapture. And we too will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we'll receive our perfect body and there will be no sin in it. Romans 8.23 is from last week. Do you remember it? And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. There were three. Can you remember what they were? The first fruits of the Spirit. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. You remember them? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those were the things we should be examining 
as we examine ourselves and our lives and our how do we find God's will, well, the first fruits of the Spirit, he's going to point out that which is good, which is righteous, and which is truth. And even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. And then in first, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of hands, and house not made with hand, a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, and who also hath given unto us the earnest of his, uh, his spirit. And the earnest is like our down payment. See in Ephesians 1.14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit resides within us to give us a little bit of heaven and to encourage us and to motivate us and guide us and help us have victory over the old nature. So what does it matter? Uh, why does it matter to understand this threefold process? Well, remember, the devil is a wily character, <coughs> and he's going to try to frustrate you in your thinking. And he's going to try to tell you, you're a failure, all right? God, in fact, he might even go so far as to say, God doesn't love you. God can't love you. You won't obey him. How can you love God? All right? You may have heard that. Maybe the devil has beaten you up with that. Well, recognize the purpose of the battle, the purpose of the struggle. The ultimate goal of the struggle, of course, is to have victory over sin and only God will give us the ultimate complete victory, but we're to be striving and uh, headed in that direction in our growth in the Lord. And God chose that method to glorify himself because our little victories bring glory to God. Purpose in your heart for a little victory over something in your life and let it bring glory to God. And, you know, I remember one day I was working at work and back then we used um, the 80 column uh, IBM cards, key punch cards and all of this stuff. And we did a lot of work. We did work for 83 other banks and I worked up in data processing. And so I would spend anywhere between one to two hours sorting all of those uh, cards in a card sorter and um, to get them all in the right order. They had to be in numerical order. They had to be in bank number order. They had to be in alphabetical order. They had to be in transaction order, uh, all of those things, you know, here's savings, here's depo uh, uh, demand deposits, here's uh, CDs, here's installment loans, all this other stuff. I had a tray, it was about that long. And you had to walk over to the cabinet, there was a big pass-through cabinet, and we pull, you had to pull the door open and put your tray up there and close the door, and then they would open it on the other side and process it for you and let you know when it's ready so you can finish working with it. Well, one day, I was putting that up there, and I didn't get it in. 
and it fell on the floor. And uh, I, I'm a student, I've got homework to do, okay? I, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. So I bent over to do that, and this lady that was working at the desk right here, she came out and she said, don't you ever cuss? And I said, no, <laughs> I try not to. Well, I'd be cussing. And I said, maybe, but it's not going to change anything. i got to go back and do this again. All right? But bring glory to God. Strive for little victories that will bring glory to God. All right? And that should be our desire for this week. God, give me a victory this week that I can proclaim glory to your name. Give me a victory this week. Will you put it on your prayer list? All right, let's do that. Let's bow our heads and be dismissed in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We thank you for all that you want to do through us. Help us to be yielded. Help us to purpose in our hearts to get a victory this week that will glorify you. Show us what little thing you'd like for us to have victory over today. Help us to strive for it. Give us lasting victory and may it glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.